Welcome to Give Theory a Chance. In this episode, we are joined by Dr. Jennifer McLearen, Assistant Professor of Sports, Media, and Culture in the Department of Radio, Television, Film at the University of Texas at Austin, and author of the recently published Fighting Visibility, Sports Media and Female Athletes in the UFC. Jennifer introduces us to the work of Herman Gray and illustrates how his writings on the politics of representation transcend disciplinary boundaries through discussing Gray's influence on her own study of mixed martial arts and the marketing of women fighters. Jennifer also shares a valuable lesson on the importance of finding the pre-existing academic conversation that you want to join and be a part of. Hi, Jen. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. So we are here today to talk about Herman Gray. And I'm wondering if you could get us going by just giving a short introduction to who he is or maybe the what, what type of stuff he's known for. Sure. Professor Gray is a professor emeritus in, in sociology at the University of California, Santa Cruz. And he is really central in media studies and particularly the study of black popular culture. So he wrote two really influential books. One was called Watching Race and the other one was called Cultural Moves. And both are central to the field. So even beyond the study of blackness, I think that he helps us understand how race and difference operate in media culture. Okay. Do you get a sense of, and you started to answer this already, but I'm curious if you have a sense of how widely read he actually is or, or who reads him. And the reason I'm curious about that is so I'm in a sociology department. My training is in sociology. I'll, I'll confess, I didn't know who he was and I had to look him up. And then immediately I realized I should be paying attention to him because he fits with especially my new work. And then you are using him and you're not based in a sociology program. So do you get a sense of who actually reads his work? Yeah, he, I think first and foremost, he's a cultural studies scholar. So that means that he is broadly interdisciplinary and that I think a lot of people are in black studies would pick him up, people in sociology would pick him up. And then of course his object of study is traditionally more media focused. So he's done work on film, on television, and on music. And so I think anytime you involve yourself in cultural studies research or literature, you're automatically read a little bit more broadly than maybe if you're really niche within your discipline because cultural studies is interdisciplinary, or sometimes we say it's transdisciplinary or non-disciplinary. So I think there's ways that he does have currency across a lot of different areas. So how did you end up discovering his work for the first time? When I was in grad school, I did a summer seminar at USC Annenberg, and it was with a group of faculty. It was a small group of faculty and grad students, and he was one of the faculty there. And so I was not familiar with his work until I went. And one of the things that we did as students is we read the work of the different faculty who were there and then had discussions about it. And so I read a piece that he wrote, I think it was an American Quarterly, but it was called Subjected to Recognition. And that piece, at that moment, I was right at that time, I was trying to decide what I was going to write my dissertation on. And I knew it was going to be on women in the UFC, but I didn't really know where I was going to go with that. And I read that piece and it opened up so many things to how I understood how difference operated in the media. And I just... I think that, that that piece really kind of spurred my thinking in new directions in terms of the dissertation. And so that was my, my first, first exposure 
to Professor Gray. So after you read that article, did you immediately know that you had to read more of his work or was it more this type of thing where, well, then you start to develop your dissertation and you find yourself traveling back to it? I think anytime you read a particular work that takes your own work in a new direction or opens up new ideas, you want to read everything that they've written. And I, I did go back and, and read some of his other works. I also took a, a micro seminar. So I actually ended up with, in two seminars around Professor Gray's work. One was at USC and then one was at the University of Washington where I got my degree. And in that one, we read Cultural Moves and we read um, Watching Race and then we read some of his articles. And so I did go back and, and start thinking about his intellectual genealogy in terms of how how he was thinking about race when he was writing in the 90s versus how he was thinking about it in the 2000s which were the two books and then how it evolved into how he was thinking about it in more contemporary terms when i was reading him and the interesting thing too about cultural studies that i think that it gives us is when you embed yourself within cultural studies you're often thinking about the contemporary moment from political economic social perspectives and and certainly cultural perspectives. And so what each of those works do is really ground us in a particular moment that tells us what is happening in broader society that brings together these representations that we see on our screen. Or even if it's not representation, it, it brings together various formations that give us particular understandings of race or difference. Is there a particular idea that you encountered in his writing that's that's really stuck with you or had an influence as you moved on to, again, thinking about your dissertation, which we'll talk about in a second? So the piece that I read first, Subjected to Recognition, is about thinking about the limits of representation for social change. So it's taking the idea of uh, the politics of visibility, which usually we, we view as, as a good thing, as we need to have identities that have been marginalized visible in media culture because that gives them some sort of pow power and clout within society. It makes them recognize, it makes them seen, and that's a good thing. And what he argues in that piece is that now we're actually seeing a proliferation of difference. And it's no longer the questions about veracity, like is this representation true? Or are we seeing enough of this representation? That's actually falling a, a bit to the wayside and that we have to understand representation itself as a technology of power, meaning that neoliberal institutions, ca capitalistic institutions can take up representation and use it for their own aims and make it look like this good, positive, wonderful thing. But what is it actually doing? Is it actually giving people who are marginalized power within society? And what that article really does call into question is its ability to continue to do that because there are so many ways that identities can be marketed and branded and sliced and diced and, and to be turned into a profit. And so that piece really springboarded my thinking a lot. And that's the piece that I tend to go to, even though a lot of his other work does take up those ideas and it, it does thread through a lot of his other, his other articles. But because that was the first one that I read, that's the one that I sort of tend to go to. That's like the, the key moment for me in terms of how my thinking evolved 
even though you can certainly see these ideas in cultural moves and you can see it in articles that he's written more recently too. So let's talk a little bit more about your own work. I've started working through your book. It's been a busy time of the semester, but I'm really enjoying it so far. And with you explaining that influence that he had on you, like it, it's making perfect sense now. And I'm also feeling kind of foolish because there's two projects I'm working on where apparently I need to go back and read that piece also because it's exactly what I need for it. Um, but could you tell us a bit about your own research and how you took those ideas and applied it to your different case study? Yeah, I wrote a book on women in the UFC and it specifically is looking at this idea of visibility and what visibility can do for female athletes. Because if you look at the literature on women in sports media, there's a few dominant themes that come out of a lot of the literature that we have. Underrepresentation, women are vastly underrepresented in sports media, somewhere between four and 10% of all sports media coverage is of women. So it's very low. And when they are represented, oftentimes they're objectified or they're marginalized in some form or fashion or they're trivialized or things like that. And so we have a whole corpus that identifies this, problematizes this, and has talked about it throughout you know, the last 30 or 40 years, however long we've been, we've been covering women's sports. This is important research, but what I wanted to do with the book is start with that question that Professor Gray asked us in the seminar and said, what's beyond representation? What, what is this, is this really going to get us equity? Is it really going to solve some of the problems in terms of gender inequality in sports media or sports in general or in broader society? Can it really do what we assume that it can? Because we're constantly repeating the mantras, representation matters, and if she can see it, she can be it. And while there's a lot of emotion and affect that gets embedded in the idea of having powerful, strong women representing themselves to a generation of young girls, while that's very powerful, the question that I asked in the book is that, what does this leave out? What is missing from this? How does this this image of it being so powerful and wonderful to have you know strong women represented does that actually cause other things to not be visible because what visibility does is it shines the light on certain things and then other things that we don't see and so i get a lot into issues of labor inequality and issues of below the surface treatment of gender that isn't as as visible as the sort of great representations that we may see on screen. And so, you know, that question and, and what one of the things that Professor Gray that does that I really love is that he uses a lot of questions in his scholarship. And so he'll ask these really, you know, challenging questions like what's beyond representation or, you know, have we reached the limits of visibility or you know, these other things. And that's what started me along that path to get to the argument within looking at my specific research. In his work, does he also try to theorize what could be or how, how to move past representation? Or is it more that his project is to critically engage with what is currently being done? Does that make sense? I don't know. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah. And I think if you read certain things, it's about formulating the questions, I think, because you, you can kind of see how his thought develops over time if you start if you read it in a linear fashion you can see how ideas from one book inform ideas in another article which informs so i think he does get to 
to some ideas about what's beyond representation. And one of the things that he looks at is the idea of affect and how particular sentiments and feelings gather around certain images. And so why are there so many images of black trauma, for example, is one of the things that he talks about. Why does you know news media or other type of media gather around this this sentiment and and you know make it a conduit of this sentiment? And so that's one of the thing I think one of the ways that he has started thinking beyond the idea of representation is is, is getting into the, the what he calls the feel of life. And you have a whole chapter that builds on that idea uh, taking affect right and looking at the advertising for was it the promotion of different fights? Yes, absolutely. It was primarily looking at Ronda Rousey and asking questions around why why was there so much feeling and sentiment, so much positivity, so much energy around this particular person? And how was that then used by the UFC to market the women's divisions, to market the promotion in general? And how might that those feel good, you know, sentiments, how might they help to obscure the fact that not anybody can be Ronda Rousey, that there's only one Ronda Rousey. So this, the next question is a little bit abstract, but I'm always curious, and especially in teaching theory, there's always this question of, you know, what do we, what do we actually do with these ideas? Do you see yourself taking his ideas and just bringing them to a different site that he hasn't explored, right? Looking at the context of sport, looking at the context of representation of women, um, or are you also calling into question the way that he theorizes the world and the way he formulated his ideas? I don't think I do the latter so much with his work because, because I found it so useful, such a useful lens. So I take it into a different site and think about it in, in different ways because in, you know, I consider myself a cultural studies scholar as well and what we know is context really matters. So you can take an idea that is formulated in one particular sphere and then you apply it in a new context and inherently it's going to change and it has to adjust because it, it needs to attend to its context in order for you to fully understand it. So one of the ideas that I develop in the book is this idea of branded difference, which you know originates in this idea that there are neoliberal capitalistic impetus or, or market logics that are used to market gender and race and sexuality and nationality and other differences. And what ends up happening is it flattens all of those things to make them very similar to one another in that everyone is different. So if you're a queer black woman and you're a straight dyslexic man, you're equated as different because as different and yet the same because you both have your differences, but those differences become you know, equated as, as similar. And what gets evacuated out of that is an understanding of intersectionality or an understanding of how different identities have different experiences in society and those identities might be oppressed or they might be privileged, for example. And so, you know, I took, you know, took something that started with ideas that I got from Pro Professor Gray, also Sarah Irbene Weiser it was, you know, her work has been really influential on mine. And Relina Joseph also, all, all three of those scholars helped me understand this idea of difference and then also of, of how difference becomes marketable. And then I used it to, to look at a specific context that's using promotional materials, using branding. And so 
there's some strategies in there. So there's some strategic communication lessons that can be learned with how they do that um, that's applied in this particular context. You mentioned that you had these two other scholars that you turned to to help you as you were taking Professor Gray's ideas into this new context. Are there scholars that have been particularly useful in combination with his work or his ideas? Certainly Sarah Benet Weiser. So at that, at that USC uh, graduate um, seminar that I went to, she was also one of the scholars that were there. And I, I read her work for, I, I might've read her before I got there, but I read a piece by her um, that I believe was in her authentic book, which is about branding. And those two people are in conversation a lot. So you see... Oh, so they actually are, it's not that you're doing the work in in a way, they're also, okay. Yeah, they're in conversation with one another and they know each other and you can really see that they they find each other's work very generative because they're always citing each other. Um, And so that was definitely reading both of them at the same time. Like I could have done, I could have done this whole episode on B'nai Weiser's work um, because that, that has also been really, really helpful for how I understand identity and branding and consumer citizenship and and things like that. And so reading them together was really fruitful. And then uh, Relina Joseph was my dissertation advisor. And so obviously she has some influence there, but she wrote a piece called What's the Difference with Difference that is theorizing the term difference itself, because it's a it's a little different (laughs) to overuse the word from multiculturalism or from uh, diversity or things like that. And so, and she also is in conversation with the other two. Um, so I think that, you know, one of the things that I learned in grad school is that one of the biggest things that you can find is the intellectual conversation that you want to embed yourself within. And that conversation has been going on for a while, just because you're new to it, it it doesn't mean that it, it doesn't have this sort of rich history that you need to then go in and follow and see how their ideas developed and how how they leaned on and used one another to develop some of these these ways of thinking about the world. And, you know, those three in particular were, were very influential for me at the point where I was writing the dissertation. And then, of course, you know, the book evolved in lots of different directions, you know, beyond that. But I think that, that those were, were key influencers in in how i ended up developing the book final question and this is often my favorite question reflecting back on your experience reading herman gray's work your experience drawing on these ideas your experience writing your book do you use do you teach him in the classroom also i, I should do, have asked yeah. you that before mm-hmm. okay so your experience both as a researcher but also as a as a, a professor what would you say to people like me who somehow have not yet read his work about why we should take the time to engage with his ideas and sit down and read an article or some of his books? I think there, there's a couple different things I would advise. First is some of his work, depending on what forum he wrote it for, is more dense than others, meaning that the language that he uses is very dense. And so it takes time to work its way through. It took me a long time to work my way through subjected to recognition the first time that I read it while I was in grad school. And I think that one piece of advice that I would give students in tackling any theory like that is to be patient with it and to to go in and really read slowly and take notes and 
chew on the words and think about what what the words might mean in different contexts to try to fully grasp it. And then also read what other people, how other people have taken it up because they may provide some avenues in terms of how you might understand it and use it yourself. And so that's the first piece. And then the second piece is, and we've already talked about this a little bit, is the idea that it's good to question things that we take at face value to be good. So we take representation of minorities at face value to be good, to be the thing that we strive for in society. But I think it's really important that even if we judge it as good, that we don't allow it to become the be all and end all of everything. And that what Professor Gray does is provide a lots of really interesting questions to take things that we would look at just at face value and say, okay, great, wonderful, we're, we're achieving progress and saying, what else is happening here? Who else might be benefiting from this? What other logics are at play? And I think that a real strong suit of his work is that in any, any decade that he was writing, or is writing because he's still writing, he is able to contextualize those pieces and ask really important questions of things that we are just making assumptions about. And, and that's really, for me, those are the most exciting scholars, are the ones that can do that for us. And I think I've noticed that students are really good at critiquing representation in my classroom and that they can identify stereotypes and they can identify things that might be harmful and they can identify things that they think are good and bad. But to dig below that, to probe a bit deeper and to think about the logics of production, which Herman Gray does in his work, I think can really enrich how we understand how media culture works more broadly. So that would be a perfect place to end. But I do have one more question, which okay. is a little bit selfish. I'll say it's for students, but it's really for myself. What, where would you recommend starting? If, if someone wanted to read P Professor Gray's work, you said the article is a little bit on the challenging side, although it has been incredibly influential for you. So there's value starting there. But if someone wanted to delve into his idea, is there a place that you think would be a good entry point? I think watching race is a really good entry point because it's actually written, it's not, it's not as dense as some of, of his articles. And so it's written a little bit more accessibly and it covers cultural touch points that even students of this generation might be familiar with, like the Cosby show, for example, which students of this generation take up in a slightly different way because that was written of course in the nineties and they understand Cosby very differently now, but it does give an avenue to have that conversation in the classroom in that this is what the Cosby show meant in the 90s and this is what the Cosby show means now and so cultural context matters so you know you could use it to even have that conversation and I think then from there you know it his ideas that that I tend to use and that I really gravitate to were built you know out of that and a little bit later on but I think that his his commentary around blackness and the contestation and different ways that blackness gets taken up in popular culture by different audiences and, and different producers and consumers 
I think is a really rich conversation that's still very valuable, even though it was written in the 90s. I think it definitely has staying power and is still used in black cultural or, or in classes on black cultural politics and black television, for example. Thank you again. I appreciate you taking the time. I, I will find time now to read his work, and I was not planning that before, so, so you did your job. Excellent. I, I look forward to hearing what you think about it, and I hope it is hope it is as, as generative for you as it was for me. I mean, you wrote a book out of it, so that's I, a, I, I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kyle. I appreciate it. Appreciation goes to Jeffrey Gilbert for providing our theme music undergraduate sociologists Beth Heberger, Alicia Rios, and Simone Graham for their help with the project, and most importantly, on behalf of me, Kyle Green, thank you for giving theory a chance.